0: For the Love of Reading, featuring selections from novels, complete short stories, poetry and non-fiction, read for you by Linda Pack. The gingham dog and the calico cat, side by side on the table sat. T'was half past twelve, and what do you think? Nor one nor t'other had slept a wink. The old Dutch clock? "'and the Chinese plate appeared to know as sure as fate "'there was going to be a terrible spat. "'I wasn't there. "'I simply state what was told to me by the Chinese plate. "'The gingham dog went bow-wow-wow, "'and the calico cat replied meow.' The air was littered for an hour or so with bits of gingham and calico, while the old Dutch clock on the chimney-place up with its hands before its face, for it always dreaded a family row. Now mind, I'm only telling you what the old Dutch clock declares is true. The Chinese plate looked very blue, and wailed, "'Oh, dear, what shall we do?' But the gingham dog and the calico cat wallowed this way and tumbled that, employing every tooth and claw in the awfulest way you ever saw. And, oh, how the gingham and calico flew. Don't fancy I exaggerate. I got my news from the Chinese plate. Next morning, where the two had sat, they found no trace of dog or cat and some folks think unto this day that burglars stole that pair away but the truth about the cat and pup is this they ate each other up now what do you really think of that the old dutch clock it told me so and that is how i came to know That poem is called The Duel, and it pretty much defines the eternal and perhaps mythical struggle between dogs and cats. So I'm going to read to you some great tales of cats and dogs, and perhaps we'll find out who wins. The Duel, that poem by Eugene Field, was written in 1894. Eugene Field was an American who lived in the Midwest, but he had in common with all of the authors in this program, the very British Rudyard Kipling, Monsieur Théophile Gautier of France, and that parapetetic genius O. Henry, that they were all professional writers whose careers included poetry, journalism, short stories, plays, novels, and literary criticism. Each of these men was awesomely prolific and a master of style. They were roughly contemporaries, publishing around the same time in the middle of the 1800s and the early 1900s, except for one, a medieval Irish monk, anonymous, but he surely was also literally a man of letters. Rudyard Kipling was among the British Empire's most famous and popular authors. He was also the youngest recipient of the Nobel Prize for Literature in 1907 and the very first English-language author to win that prize. The Cat That Walked By Himself is one of Kipling's most famous Just So stories, which are his fables of animal origins. His just-so stories began as bedtime stories, which Kipling told to his daughter Effie and her sisters. When they were published in 1902, Kipling explained, In the evening these were stories meant to put Effie to sleep, and you were not allowed to alter them by one single little word. They had to be told just so. Here is The Cat That Walked By Himself. hear and attend and listen for this befell and behappened and became and was O my best beloved when the tame animals were wild the dog was wild and the horse was wild and the cow was wild and the sheep was wild and the pig was wild as wild as wild could be and they walked in the wet wild woods by their wild loans but the wildest of all the wild animals was the cat he walked by himself and all places were alike to him of course the man was wild too he was dreadfully wild he didn't even begin to tame until he met the woman "'and she told him that she did not like living in his wild ways. "'She picked out a nice dry cave "'instead of a heap of wet leaves to lie down in, "'and she strewed clean sand on the floor, "'and she lit a nice fire of wood at the back of the cave, "'and she hung a dried wild horse skin "'tail down across the opening of the cave, "'and she said, "'Wipe your feet, dear, when you come in, "'and now we'll keep house.' "'That night,' best beloved they ate wild sheep roasted on the hot stone and flavored with wild garlic and wild pepper and wild duck stuffed with wild rice and wild fenugreek and wild coriander and marrow bones of wild oxen and wild cherries and wild grenadillas. then the man went to sleep in front of the fire ever so happy but the woman sat up combing her hair she took the bone of the shoulder of mutton the big fat blade bone and she looked at the wonderful marks on it and she threw more wood on the fire and she made a magic she made the first singing magic in the world out in the wet wild woods all the wild animals gathered together where they could see the light of the fire a long way off and they wondered what it meant Then Wild Horse stabbed with his wild foot and said, "'Oh, my friends, and oh, my enemies, "'why have the man and the woman made that great light in that great cave, "'and what harm will it do us?' Wild Dog lifted up his wild nose and smelled the smell of roast mutton and said, "'I will go up and see and look and say, for I think it is good. "'Cat, come with me!' "'Nanny,' said the cat, i am the cat who walks by himself and all places are alike to me i will not come then we can never be friends again said wild dog and he trotted off to the cave but when he had gone a little way the cat said to himself all places are alike to me why should i not to go and see and look and come away at my own liking so he slipped after Wild Dog softly, very softly, and hid himself where he could hear everything. When Wild Dog reached the mouth of the cave, he lifted up the dried horse skin with his nose and sniffed the beautiful smell of roast mutton. And the woman, looking at the blade bone, and laughed and said, Here comes the first. Wild thing out of the wild woods, what do you want? Wild Dog said, "'Oh, my enemy and wife of my enemy, "'what is that that smells so good in the wild woods?' Then the woman picked up a roasted mutton bone and threw it to Wild Dog and said, "'Wild thing out of the wild woods taste and try.' Wild Dog gnawed the bone, and it was more delicious than anything he'd ever tasted, and he said, "'Oh, my enemy, and wife of my enemy, give me another!' "'The woman said, "'Wild thing, out of the wild woods, "'help my man to hunt through the day "'and guard this cave at night, "'and I will give you as many roast bones as you need.' "'Ah,' said the cat, listening, "'this is a very wise woman, "'but she is not so wise as I am wild dog crawled into the cave and laid his head on the woman's lap and said oh my friend and wife of my friend i will help your man to hunt through the day and at night i will guard your cave ah said the cat listening that is a very foolish dog and he went back through the wet wild woods waving his wild tail and walking by his wild lone but he never told anybody. When the man waked up, he said, What is Wild Dog doing here? And the woman said, His name is not Wild Dog anymore, but First Friend, because he will be our friend for always and always and always. Take him with you when you go hunting. Next night the woman cut great green armfuls of fresh grass from the water-meadows and dried it before the fire so that it smelt like new-mown hay and she sat at the mouth of a cave and plaited a halter out of horse-hide and she looked at the shoulder of mutton-bone at the big broad blade-bone and she made a magic she made the second singing magic in the world out in the wild woods all the wild animals wondered what had happened to wild dog and at last wild horse stamped his his foot and said i will go and see why wild dog has not returned cat come with me said the cat i am the cat who walks by himself and all places are alike to me i will not come but all the same he followed wild horse softly very softly and hid himself where he could hear everything when the woman heard wild horse tripping and stumbling on his long mane she laughed and said here comes the second wild thing out of the wild woods what do you want wild horse said oh enemy and wife of my enemy where is wild dog the woman laughed and picked up the blade bone and looked at it and said "'Wild thing out of the wild woods, you did not come here for a wild dog, "'but for the sake of this good grass.' "'And Wild Horse, tripping and stumbling on his long mane, said, "'That is true. Give it me to eat.' "'The woman said, "'Wild thing out of the wild woods, bend your wild head, "'and where would I give you, "'and you shall eat the wonderful grass three times a day.' ah said the cat listening this is a clever woman but she is not so clever as i am wild horse bent his wild head and the woman slipped the plaited hide halter over it and wild horse breathed on the woman's feet and said ah my mistress and wife of my master i will be your servant for the sake of the wonderful grass ah said the cat listening that is a very foolish horse. And he went back through the wet wild woods, waving his wild tail and walking by his wild lone, But he never told anybody. When the man and the dog came back from hunting, the man said, What is Wild Horse doing here? And the woman said, His name is not Wild Horse any more, but the first servant, because he will carry us from place to place for always and always and always. Ride on his back when you go hunting. Next day, holding her wild head high that her wild horns should not catch in the wild trees, Wild Cow came up to the cave, and the cat followed and hid himself just the same as before. And everything happened just the same as before, and the cat said the same things as before, and when Wild Cow promised to give her milk to the woman every day in exchange for the wonderful grass, the cat went back through the wet wild woods waving his wild tail and walking by his wild lone, just the same as before, but he never told anybody and when the man and the horse and the dog came home from hunting and asked the same questions as before the woman said her name is not wild cow any more but the giver of good food she will give us the warm white milk for always and always and always and i will take care of her while you and the first friend and the first servant go hunting next day The cat waited to see if any other wild thing would go up to the cave. But no one moved in the wet wild woods, so the cat walked there by himself. And he saw the woman milking the cow. And he saw the light of the fire in the cave. And he smelt the smell of the warm white milk. Cat said, Oh, enemy and wife of my enemy, where did wild cow go? The woman laughed and said, Wild thing out of the wild woods, go back to the woods again, for I have braided up my hair, and I've put away the magic blade bone, and we have no more need of either friends or servants in our cave. Cat said, I am not a friend, and I am not a servant. I am the cat who walks by himself, and I wish to come into your cave. Woman said, then why did you not come with first friend on the first night? The cat grew very angry and said As wild dog did me? Then the woman laughed and said, You are the cat who walks by himself and all places are alike to you. You are neither a friend nor a servant. You have said it yourself. Go away and walk by yourself in all places alike. Then the cat pretended to be sorry and said must i never come into the cave must i never sit by the warm fire must i never drink the warm white milk you are very wise and very beautiful you should not be cruel even to a cat woman said i knew i was wise but i did not know i was beautiful so i will make a bargain with you if I ever say one word in your praise, you may come into the cave. And if you say two words in my praise, said the cat, I never shall, said the woman. But if I say two words in your praise, you may sit by the fire in the cave. And if you say three words, said the cat, <laughs> i never shall said the woman but if i say three words in your praise you may drink the warm white milk three times a day for always and always and always then the cat arched his back and said "'Now let the curtain at the mouth of the cave "'and the fire at the back of the cave "'and the milk-pots that stand beside the fire "'remember what my enemy and the wife of my enemy has said.' "'And he went away through the wet wild woods, "'waving his wild tail and walking by his wild lone. "'That night, when the man and the horse and the dog "'came home from hunting, the woman did not tell them of the bargain that she had made with the cat because she was afraid they might not like it cat went far and far away and hid himself in the wet wild woods by his wild lone for a long time till the woman forgot all about him only the bat the little upside-down bat that hung inside the cave knew where cat hid and every evening bat would fly to cat with news of what was happening One evening, Bat said, There is a baby in the cave. He is new and pink and fat and small, and the woman is very fond of him. Ah, said the cat, listening. But what is the baby fond of? He is fond of things that are soft and tickle, said the Bat. He is fond of warm things to hold in his arms when he goes to sleep he is fond of being played with he is fond of all those things ah said the cat listening then my time has come next night the cat walked through the wet wild woods and hid very near the cave till morning time and man and dog and horse went hunting The woman was busy cooking that morning, and the baby cried and interrupted, so she carried him outside the cave and gave him a handful of pebbles to play with, but the baby still cried. Then the cat put out his paddy paw and patted the baby on the cheek, and it cooed, and the cat rubbed against its fat knees and tickled it under its fat chin with his tail, and the baby laughed, and the woman heard him and smiled. Then the bat, the little upside-down bat that hung at the mouth of the cave, said, "'Oh, my hostess, and wife of my host, and mother of my host's son, "'a wild thing from the wild woods is most beautifully playing with your baby.' "'A blessing on that wild thing, whoever he may be,' said the woman, straightening her back, "'for I was a busy woman this morning, and he's done me a service.' That very minute and second, best beloved, the dried horse-skin curtain that was stretched tail down at the mouth of the cave, fell down, whoosh, because it remembered the bargain she had made with the cat. And when the woman went to pick it up, lo, and behold, the cat was sitting quite comfy inside the cave. Oh, enemy and wife of my enemy and mother of my enemy, said the cat, It is I, for you have spoken a word in my praise, and now I can sit within the cave for always and always and always. But still I am the cat who walks by himself, and all places are alike to me. The woman was very angry, and shut her lips tight and took up her spinning wheel and began to spin. But the baby cried, because the cat had gone away, and the woman could not hush it, for it struggled and kicked and grew black in the face. "'Oh, enemy and wife of my enemy and mother of my enemy,' said the cat, "'take a strand of the wire that you are spinning, and tie it to your spinning whorl, and drag it along the floor, and I will show you a magic that shall make your baby laugh as loudly as he is now crying.' i will do so said the woman for i am at my wits end but i will not thank you for it she tied the thread to the little clay spindle whorl and drew it across the floor "'and the cat ran after it "'and patted it with its paws "'and rolled head over heels "'and tossed it backwards over his shoulder "'and chased it between his hind legs "'and pretended to lose it "'and pounced down upon it again "'till the baby laughed as loudly "'as it had been crying "'and scrambled after the cat "'and frolicked all over the cave "'till it grew tired "'and settled down to sleep "'with the cat in its arms. "'Now,' said the cat, i'll sing the baby a song that shall keep him asleep for an hour and he began to purr loud and low low and loud till the baby fell fast asleep the woman smiled as she looked down upon the two of them and said that was wonderfully done no question but you are a very clever o cat That very minute and second, best beloved, the smoke of the fire at the back of the cave came down in clouds from the roof, because it remembered the bargain she had made with the cat, and when it had cleared away, lo and behold, the cat was sitting quite comfy close to the fire oh enemy and wife of my enemy and mother of my enemy said the cat it is i for you have spoken a second word in my praise and now i can sit by the warm fire at the back of the cave for always and always and always but still i am the cat who walks by himself and all places are alike to me Then the woman was very, very angry and let down her hair and put more wood on the fire and brought out the broad blade bone of the shoulder of Mutton and began to make a magic that should prevent her from saying a third word in praise of the cat. It was not a singing magic, best beloved. It was a still magic. And by and by the cave grew so still that a little wee-wee mouse crept out of a corner. "'and ran across the floor. "'Oh, enemy and wife of my enemy "'and mother of my enemy,' said the cat, "'is that little mouse part of your magic?' "'Oh, gee, no, indeed,' said the woman, "'and she dropped the blade-bone "'and jumped up on the footstool in front of the fire "'and braided up her hair very quick "'for fear that the mouse should run up it.' "'Ah,' said the cat, watching, "'then the mouse will do me no harm if I eat it?' "'No,' said the woman, braiding up her hair. "'Eat it quickly, and I will be ever grateful to you.' "'The cat made one jump and caught the little mouse, "'and the woman said, "'A hundred thanks. "'Even the first friend is not quick enough "'to catch little mice as you have done. "'You must be very wise.' That very moment and second, O best beloved, the milk pot that stood by the fire cracked in two pieces because it remembered the bargain she had made with the cat. And when the woman jumped down from the footstool, lo and behold, the cat was lapping up the warm white milk that lay in one of the broken pieces. "'Oh, enemy and wife of my enemy and mother of my enemy,' said the cat, "'it is I, for you have spoken three words in my praise, "'and now I can drink the warm white milk three times a day "'for always and always and always. "'But still I am the cat who walks by himself, "'and all places are alike to me.' Then the woman laughed, and set the cat a bowl of the warm white milk, and said, "'Oh, cat, you are as clever as a man. But remember that your bargain was not made with the man or the dog, and I do not know what they will do when they come home.' "'What is it to me?' said the cat. "'If I have my place in the cave by the fire, and my warm white milk three times a day, I do not care what the man or dog will do.' "'That evening, when the man and dog came into the cave, "'the woman told them the story of the bargain "'while the cat sat by the fire and smiled. "'Then the man said, "'Yes, but he's not made a bargain with me "'or with all proper men after me. "'Then he took off his two leather boots "'and he took up his little stone axe. "'That makes three. "'And he fetched a piece of wood and a hatchet. "'That is five altogether. "'And he set them out in a row and he said, "'Now we will make our bargain.' "'If you do not catch mice when you are in the cave, for always and always and always, "'I will throw these five things at you whenever I see you, "'and so shall all proper men do after me.' "'Ah,' said the woman, listening, "'this is a very clever cat, but he is not so clever as my man.' "'The cat counted the five things, and they looked very knobby. "'And he said,' "'I will catch mice when I am in the cave, for always and always and always. "'But still I am the cat who walks by himself, and all places are alike to me.' "'Not when I am near,' said the man. "'If you had not said that last, I would have put all these things away, "'for always and always and always. "'But I am now going to throw my two boots and my little stone axe makes three at you whenever I meet you and so shall all proper men do after me then the dog said wait a minute he has not made a bargain with me or with all proper dogs after me and he showed his teeth and said if you are not kind to the baby while I am in the cave for always and always and always I will hunt you until I catch you and when I catch you I will bite you and so shall all proper dogs do after me ''Ah,'' said the woman, listening, ''this is a very clever cat, but he is not so clever as the dog.'' The cat counted the dog's teeth, and they looked very pointed, and he said, ''I will be kind to the baby while I am in the cave, as long as he does not pull my tail too hard, for always and always and always. But I am still the cat that walks by himself, and all places are alike to me.'' "'Not when I am near,' said the dog. "'If you had not said that last, "'I would have shut my mouth for always and always and always. "'But now I am going to hunt you up a tree whenever I meet you, "'and so shall all proper dogs do after me.' "'Then the man threw his two boots and his little stone axe, "'that makes three, at the cat. "'And the cat ran out of the cave, "'and the dog chased him up a tree. "'And from that day to this, best beloved,' Three proper men out of five will always throw things at a cat whenever they meet him, and all proper dogs will chase him up a tree. But the cat keeps his side of the bargain, too. He will kill mice, and he will be kind to babies when he is in the house, just so long as they do not pull his tail too hard. But when he has done that, and between times, and when the moon gets up and night comes... He is the cat that walks by himself, and all places are alike to him. Then he goes out to the wet wild, or up the wet wild trees, or on the wet wild roofs, waving his wild tail, and walking by his wild lone. That was The Cat That Walked By Himself by Rudyard Kipling. Now here is a poem. The name of it is Pongor Ban, and it is a tender little poem that was written by an Irish monk in the ninth century. This monk, at that time, was in a Benedictine monastery on an island in the Rhine River. The poem that he wrote is inscribed in a volume of illustrated gospel called the Reichnenau Primer, and it appears the poem randomly amidst a transcript of St. Paul's epistles. It seems that the monk was distracted from his studying and copying by his white cat, which is what Pangorban translates to from the Old Irish. So although he was writing in Latin and reading in Latin, he wrote this poem in Old Irish. Observing his cat's labors, the monk was inspired to make up a little poem comparing his work to the cats. If you want to see the original manuscript of the poem, it is preserved at St. Paul's Abbey in Austria. This abbey possesses one of the largest collections of art in Europe, as well as an extensive and important library of over 180,000 books and manuscripts from between the 5th and 18th centuries. This is Robin Flowers' translation from the Old Irish of Pungur I, and Pangor Ban, my cat, Tis a like task we are at. Hunting mice is his delight, Hunting words I sit all night. Better far than praise of men Tis to sit with book and pen. Pangor bears me no ill will, He too plies his simple skill. Tis a merry task to see At our tasks how glad are we when at home we sit and find entertainment to our mind. Oftentimes a mouse will stray in the hero-ponger's way. Oftentimes my keen thought set takes a meaning in its net. Gainst the wall he sets his eye, full and fierce and sharp and sly. Gainst the wall of knowledge I, all my little wisdom, try. When a mouse darts from its den, Oh, how glad is Pongor then! Oh, what gladness do I prove When I solve the doubts I love? So in peace our tasks we ply, Pongor my cat, and I. In our arts we find our bliss, I have mine, and he has his. Practice every day has made Pangor perfect in his trade. I get wisdom day and night, turning darkness into light. Theophile Gautier, who lived from 1811 to 1872, mostly in Paris, took a few moments from what he called the burden of regular journalism and from writing plays and ballets and novels and poems and art criticism and tending the library of Princess Mathilde Bonaparte, a cousin of Napoleon III, to offer up the following praise of his pets. He called it my private menagerie. I must own that all my life I have been fond of animals in general and of cats in particular. My liking was rather for cats, on account of their being more sedentary and fonder of the fireplace. Dynasties of felines, as numerous as the dynasties of Egyptian kings, succeeded each other in our home. Accident, flight, or death accounted for them in turns, but they were all beloved and regretted. But it is a sad thing that the life of these humble friends— should not be proportionate to that of their masters madame Théophile, a red cat with a white breast pink nose and blue eyes was so called because she lived with me on a footing of conjugal intimacy She slept at the foot of my bed, snoozed on the arm of my chair while I was writing, came down to the garden, and accompanied me on my walks, sat at meals with me, and not infrequently appropriated the morsels on their way from my plate to my mouth. One day, a friend of mine named Jack, who was going out of town for a few days, entrusted his parrot to me, with the request that I would take care of it during his absence. The bird feeling strange in my house, had climbed, helping himself with his beak, to the very top of his perch, and, looking pretty well bewildered, rolled round his eyes that resembled the gilt nails on armchairs and wrinkled the whitish membrane that served him for eyelids. Madame Théophile had never seen a parrot, and she was evidently much puzzled by the strange bird. Motionless as an Egyptian mummy-cat, she gazed upon it with an air of profound meditation and put together whatever she had been able to pick up of the natural history on the roofs, the yard, and the garden. Her thoughts were reflected in her shifting glance, and I was able to read in it the result of her examination. It is unmistakably a chicken having reached this conclusion she sprang from the table on which she had posted herself to make her investigations and crouched down in one corner of the room flat on her stomach her elbows out her head low her muscular backbone on the stretch like a black panther watching gazelles on their way to the drinking-place The parrot followed her movements with feverish anxiety, fluffing out its feathers, rattling its chain, lifting its foot and moving its claws and sharpening its beak to the edge of the seed box. Its instinct warned it that an enemy was preparing to attack. The eyes of the cat fixed upon the bird with an intensity that had something of fascination in it, plain in a language well understood by the parrot and absolutely intelligible green though it is that chicken must be good to eat i watched the scene with much interest prepared to interfere at the proper time madame Theophile had gradually crawled nearer Her pink nose was working, her eyes were half-closed, her claws were protruded and then drawn in. She thrilled with anticipation, like a gourmet sitting down to enjoy a truffled pullet. She gloated over the thought of choice and succulent meal she was about to enjoy, and her sensuality was tickled by the idea of the exotic dish that was to be hers. Suddenly she arched her back like a bow that is being drawn, and a swift leap, "'landed her right on the perch. "'The parrot, seeing the danger upon him, "'unexpectedly called out, "'Have you had your breakfast, Jack?' "'The words filled the cat "'with an indescribable terror. "'She leapt back. "'The blast of a trumpet, "'the smash of a pile of crockery "'or a pistol shot fired by her ear "'would not have dismayed the feline "'to such an extent. "'All her ornithological notions "'were upset.' And what did you have? A royal roast? went on the bird. The cat's expression clearly meant, This is not a bird. It's a man. It speaks. And when of claret I've drunk my fill, the tavern whirls and is whirling still, sang out the bird in a deafening voice, for it had at once perceived that the terror inspired by its speech was its surest means of defense. The cat looked at me questioningly, And my reply proving unsatisfactory, she sneaked under the bed and refused to come out for the rest of the day. Those of my readers who have not been in the habit of having animals to keep them company will no doubt think I am attributing intentions to the bird and the quadruped, but as a matter of fact, I have merely translated their thoughts into human speech. The next day, Madame Théophile, having somewhat overcome her fright, made another attempt— and was routed in the same fashion that was enough for her and henceforth she remained convinced that the bird was a man my liking for dogs however manifested itself in me at an age when i was as yet ignorant of the alphabet the earliest remembrance that i have goes back to the time of my arrival in paris i was then three years old homesickness of a violence that no one would credit a child with being capable fell upon me. What I regretted most was a poodle dog named Kanyot, whom it had been impossible to bring with us. His absence told on me to such an extent that one morning, having first chucked out of the window my little tin soldiers and my German village with its painted houses and my bright red fiddle Josephine, my nurse, had the happy thought to tell me that Conyot, tired of waiting for us, was coming that very day by the stagecoach. I kept asking every 15 minutes whether Conyot had not yet come. To quiet me, Josephine bought a little poodle dog, not unlike the one I left behind. I did not feel sure of its identity, but I was told that traveling changed dogs very much. "'I was satisfied with the explanation "'and accepted the dog as being the authentic cagnotte. "'He was very gentle, very amiable, and very well-behaved. "'He would lick my cheeks, "'and indeed his tongue was not above licking also "'the slices of bread and butter cut from my afternoon tea. "'We lived on the best of terms with each other. "'After a short while, however, "'the supposed cagnotte became sad, troubled, "'and his movements lost their freedom.' He found it difficult to curl himself up, lost his jolly agility, breathed hard, and could not eat one day while caressing him. I felt a seam that ran down his stomach, which was much swelled and very tight. I called my nurse, she came, took a pair of scissors, cut a thread, and freed. Caniot from a sort of overcoat made of curled lambskin in which he had been tricked out by the dealers to make him look like a poodle he'd grown fat and that garment had been choking him once rid of this carapace he appeared in all the ugliness of a street cur a mongrel He wagged his ears, stretched his limbs, and started romping joyously around the room, caring nothing about being ugly, so long as he was comfortable. His appetite returned, and he made up by his moral qualities for his lack of beauty. That was from Théophile Gautier's My Private Menagerie. Oh, Henry! Henry! wrote more than 600 short stories. One of his collections, which was published in 1906, is titled The Four Million. The title is a reference to the Gilded Age claim that there were only 400 people in New York City who really mattered. O. Henry responded to that famous piece of snobbery in his preface to The Four Million thusly, Not very long ago, someone invented the assertion that there were only 400 people in New York City who were really worth noticing. But a wiser man has arisen, the census taker, and his larger estimate of human interest has been preferred in marking out the field of these little stories of the four million. From that collection, here is... Memoirs of a Yellow Dog, where o. Henry extends his human interest to include our canine companions. Well, I don't suppose it'll knock any of you people off your perch to read a contribution from an animal. Mr. Kipling and a good many others have demonstrated the fact that animals can express themselves in remunerative English, and no magazine goes to the press nowadays without an animal story in it. But you needn't look for any stuck-up literature in my piece, such as bear the Bear, and Snake-oo the Snake, and Tamanu the Tiger in Jungle Books. A yellow dog that spent most of his life in a cheap New York flat, sleeping in a corner on an old sateen underskirt, the one she spilt port wine on at the Lady Longshoreman's banquet, mustn't be expected to perform any tricks with the air of speech. I was born a yellow pup. Date, locality, pedigree, and weight unknown. The first thing I can recollect, an old woman had me in a basket on Broadway and 23rd trying to sell me to a fat lady. Old Mother Hubbard was boosting me to beat the band as a genuine Pomeranian, Hambletonian, Red Irish coaching China Stoke pogis fox terrier. <laughs> From that moment, I was a pet. mamma's own Wootsy Squidlums. Say, gentle reader, did you ever have a two-hundred-pound woman breathing a flavor of camembert and cheese and cheap perfume pick you up and wallop her nose all over you, remarking all the time, Oh, who's um, oodlum, doodlum, woodlum, toodlum, bitsy, witsy, scoodlums? From a pedigreed yellow pup, I grew up to be an anonymous yellow cur, looking like a cross between an Angora cat and a box of lemons. But my mistress never tumbled. She thought that the two primeval pups that Noah chased into the ark were but a collateral branch of my ancestors. It took two policemen to keep her from entering me at the Madison Square Garden for the Siberian Bloodhound Prize. (laughs) And I'll tell you about that flat. The house was the ordinary thing in New York, paved with parry and marble in the entrance hall and cobblestones above the first floor. Our flat was three, well, not flights, climbs up. My mistress rented it unfurnished and put in uh, the regular things, 1903 antique upholstered parlor set, oil chromograph of geishas in a Harlem tea house, rubber plant, and husband. (laughs) <laughs> "'By serious, there was a biped outfit, sorry for. "'He was a little man with sandy hair and whiskers, "'a good deal like mine. <laughs> and pecked well, Toucans and flamingos and pelicans all had their bills in him. "'He wiped the dishes and listened to my mistress "'tell about the cheap, ragged things "'the lady with the squirrel-skin coat on the second floor "'hung out on her line to dry. "'And every evening, while she was getting supper, she made him take me out at the end of a string for a walk. If men knew how women passed the time when they are alone, they'd never marry. Romance stories, peanut brittle, a little almond cream on the neck muscles, dishes unwashed, half-hour's talk with the ice man, re-reading a package of old letters, a couple of pickles and two bottles of malt extract, one hour peeking through the hole in the window shade in the flat across the air shaft, that's about all there is to it. Twenty minutes before time to come home from work, she straightens up the house, fixes her false hail shin yen so it won't show, and gets out a lot of sewing for a ten-minute bluff. I led a dog's life in that flat. Most all day, I lay there in my corner watching that fat woman kill time. I slept sometimes and had pipe dreams about being out chasing cats in the basements and growling at old ladies with black mittens as a dog was intended to do. And then she would pounce upon me with a lot of that driveling poodle palaver and kiss me on the nose. But what could I do? I began to feel sorry for Hubby. Dog my cats if I didn't. We looked so much alike that people noticed it when we went out. So we shook the streets that J.P. Morgan's cab drives down and took to climbing the piles of last December's snow on the streets where cheap people live. One evening, while we were thus promenading, and I was trying to look like a prize St. Bernard, and the old man was trying to look like he wouldn't have moited the first organ grinder he heard play when Mendelssohn's Wedding March, I looked up at him and said, in my way what are you looking so sour about you oakum trimmed lobster she don't kiss you you don't have to sit on her lap and listen to that talk that would make the book of a musical comedy sound like the maxims of a picticus you ought to be thankful you're not a dog brace up Benedict and bid the blues be gone the matrimonial mishap looked down on me with almost canine intelligence in his face why doggie Says he, good doggie, you almost look like you could speak. What is it, doggie, cats? Cats could speak. But of course he couldn't understand. Humans were denied the speech of animals. The only common ground of communication upon which dogs and men can get together is in fiction. In the flat across the hall from us lived a lady with a black and tan terrier. Her husband strung it and took it out every evening, but he always came home cheerful and whistling. One day I touched noses with the black and tan in the hall, and I struck him for an elucidation. See here, Wiggle and Skip, I says. You know that it ain't the nature of a real man to play dry nurse to a dog in public. I never saw one leash to a Bow Wow yet that didn't look like he would like to lick every other man that looked at him. "'But your boss comes in every day as perky and set up "'as an amateur prestidigitator doing the egg trick. "'How does he do it? Don't tell me he likes it.' "'Him,' says the black and tan. "'Why, he uses nature's own remedy. "'He gets spilificated. First time we go out, he's as shy as a man. "'By the time we've been in eight saloons, "'he don't care whether the thing on the end of his line "'is a cat or a dogfish.' I've lost two inches of my tail trying to sidestep those swinging doors. The pointer I got from that terrier, the vaudeville, please copy, set me to thinking. One evening, about six o'clock, my mistress ordered him to get busy and do the ozone act for Lovey. I have concealed it until now, but that is what she called me. The black and tan was called Tweetness. I consider, still, that I have the bulge on him as far as you could chase a rabbit. But Lovey is something of a nomenclatural tin can on the tail of one's self-respect. At a quiet place on a safe street, I tightened the line of my custodian in front of an attractive refined saloon. I made a deadhead scramble for the doors, whining like a dog in the press dispatches that lets the family know that little Alice is bogged down while gathering lilies in the brook. "'Why, darn my eyes,' says the old man with a grin. "'Darn my eyes if the saffron-colored son of a seltzer lemonade ain't asking me to take a drink. "'Let me see.' How long's it been since I saved shoe leather by keeping one foot on the footrest? I believe I'll... <laughs> I knew I had him. Hot scotches he took, sitting at a table. For an hour, he kept the Campbells coming. I sat by his side, rapping for the waiter with my tail, and eating free lunch such as mamma in her flat never equalled with her homemade truck bought at the delicatessen store eight minutes before Papa comes home. When the products of Scotland were all exhausted except the rye bread, the old man unwound me from the table leg and played me outside like a fisherman plays a salmon. Out there, he took off my collar and threw it in the street. Poor doggie, says he. Good doggie, she shan't kiss you anymore, so darn shame. Good doggie, go away, get run over by a street car, and be happy. "'I refused to leave. "'I leaped and frisked around the old man's legs "'happy as a pug on a rug. "'You old flea-headed woodchuck chaser!' "'I said to him. "'You moon-baying rabbit-pointing-egg-stealing old beagle, "'can't you see that I don't want to leave you? "'Can't you see that we're both pups in the wood "'and the missus is the cruel uncle "'after you with the dish-towel "'and me with the flea-liniment "'and a pink bow to tie on my tail? "'Why not cut that all out "'and be pods forevermore?' Maybe you'll say he didn't understand, maybe he didn't, but he kind of got a grip on the hot scotches and stood still a minute thinking. Juggy, says he finally, we don't live more than a dozen lives on this earth, and very few of us live to be more than three hundred. If I ever see that flat any more, I'm a flat, and if you do, you're flatter, and that's no flattery. I am offering sixty to one that Westward Ho wins out by the length of a dachshund. There was no string, but I frolicked along with my master at the 23rd Street Ferry, and the cats on the roof saw reason to give thanks that prehensile claws had been given to them. On the jersey side, my master says to a stranger stood eating a currant bun, Me and my doggie, we are bound for the Rocky Mountains.' But what pleased me most, when my old man pulled both of my ears till I howled and said, "'You common monkey-headed, rat-tailed, sulfur-colored son of a normat, "'do you know what I'm going to call you?' I thought of Lovey, and I whined dolefully. "'I'm going to call you Pete,' says my master. "'And if I'd had five tails,' I couldn't have done enough wagging to do justice to the occasion." That was Memoirs of a Yellow Dog, a short story by O. Henry. So between cats and dogs, who wins? Well, clearly, whoever you love most. And that is all for this edition of For the Love of Reading, Tales of Cats and Dogs. The material read on this edition of For the Love of Reading was selected, reviewed, edited, and performed by Linda Pack. The program was engineered by Alicia Bales. This program is archived and available for online listening at kzyx.org. And at lindapack.net, you will find podcast and audio links to all of the shows aired on For the Love of Reading. Can he?